gentlemen, and thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We have an amazing writer, journalist, and author on the phone today for the whole show all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. Bob Mayer is the music critic for the Memphis Daily, The Commercial Appeal. He has worked there for over a decade, where he has done extensive work on the history of Stax and Sun Studios, as well as breaking nationally and internationally the tragic deaths of Alex Chilton, Jay Retard, Jesse Winchester, and others. He is a regular contributor to Mojo Magazine, a monthly music mag out of the UK that I personally think is the greatest music mag on wheels. I've followed Bob's work there, where he's been contributing since 2003, including recent articles about Jeff Lind of the Electric Light Orchestra, the pop band Squeeze, and British blues legend John Mayle. He is coming to the Turf Club in St. Paul on Saturday, March 5th, where he will be promoting and chatting about his incredible new book called Trouble Boys, The History of the Replacements. The book has been called The Roaring Rock and Roll Adventure, a heart-wrenching family drama, a cautionary showbiz tale, and a penetrating work of biography in a major addition to the rock book canon. Without any further ado, I would like to welcome for the entire show, all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Bob Mayer. Thank you, Paul. Uh, it's actually, you know, it, the title is The True Story of the Replacements, but it's such a big book, it does feel like some sort of epic history. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, it, and it's certainly uh, probably the most in-depth look at the replacements that, that has been done. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it was, there, there have been some other attempts. Uh, Michael Osrod wrote a chapter uh, of his uh, great indie rock history, Our Band Could Be Your Life, and uh, fellow Minneapolis guy, Jim Walsh, did a really nice oral history a few years ago on the band. But, I, you know, I, my feeling was I wanted to really tell the story from the uh, inside out, and that uh, ended up taking about six years to really do the research and kind of write the, the history from, from the ground up of this band and, and their experience in, in the music business. I believe I met you three or four years ago when you were in town doing some research. Um, with uh, We hung out with our mutual friend Monty Lee Wilkes at the 400 Bar. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know you had Monty on recently. It was a great show. <laughs> Thank um, you. I I did uh, I did get up to Minneapolis quite a bit. It seemed like I was up there every uh, every time it snowed or blizzard or <laughs> maybe that's. But uh, I think uh, often I would come mostly to interview Paul and, and various other people. Paul Westerberg of the replacements, obviously, but um, he seemed to, to insist I come out in January and February. So maybe his idea of a joke for for a guy who grew up uh, like I did out west in California. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul says that, you know, that's the Westerberg sense of humor that we've, we've come to love over the years. When did you first hear The Replacements? I, uh, I like to tell people I actually saw them before I heard them in a way, and, and, and it's, uh, it was on their first national television appearance in early 86, which I write about on Saturday Night Live. I was a kid at the time, but happened to be watching the program, and I remember seeing their now somewhat infamous uh, performance there. But, uh, it, you know, it struck me from the first instant seeing the band, uh, you know, just the kind of the attitude, the uh, the, the insouciance on stage and how they kind of regarded or disregarded this big moment. So I guess I was struck first by seeing them on that show and then got into the music a couple years later. Uh, with Please to Meet Me, their album from 87. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I had, like most people who are, are replacements fans or become replacements fans, I had a very visceral experience and first exposure to them. Tell us a little bit about, I read that part uh I, th I believe there was a clip of that uh, from the book in Rolling Stone uh, on their online uh, part of uh, the Rolling Stone yeah, magazine. They did, a, they did an excerpt of that uh, chapter or kind of adaptation of that chapter on Rolling Stone online uh, earlier this month. Tell, tell the folks out there that uh, don't necessarily remember that replacements performance or know nothing about the replacements exactly the tension and drama that was going on at Saturday Night Live, uh, what led up to it in the, in the performance itself and the afternoon? Well, the questions obviously being, you know, this, this great band from Minnesota had put their first four albums out on the local label Twin Tone Records. Uh, they were managed and, and kind of guided in their career by Peter Jesperson, one of the founders or co-founders of Twin Tone. And uh, by the time they reached Saturday Night Live, they had just uh, released their first major label record for Sires slash Warner Brothers. Um, you know, they'd been signed by Sires Seymour Stein, who had an amazing 
track record of signing bands uh, back to the to the late '60s, and of course, it signed the Ramones and the Talking Heads and uh, Pretenders and all these great groups. And the Replacements were really kind of part of that legacy. So they signed in uh, beginning of '85 and put out their first uh, major label record called Tim in the fall of '85. And shortly after. Uh, through kind of the auspices of Warner Brothers, they were allowed to get on and perform Saturday Night Live in January of 86. And, you know, for people who know that show and that the history of the show, that was kind of the low ebb of, of, of the program. Warren Michaels had been gone for a, a number of years and uh, had returned to the show. That was his first year back, uh, Lauren being the creator and executive producer of Saturday Night Live. So, and it was a very tenuous time for the program. It was kind of, they weren't getting good ratings and critics were sort of panning them. And so the replacements came on to a situation that was already somewhat combustible. And of course they sort of, uh, the the uh, proverbial match uh, in a, in a uh, pool of gasoline. So, uh, but their performance on their, you know, looking back, was actually a really great performance. I mean, what made it great for me as a kid watching it, and I think a lot of people who maybe that was their first exposure to the band was was seeing the, both the energy and the attitude and the, and the feeling of the band which i think was so different from bands at the time particularly this being kind of the height of the of the mid-80s and, and a certain polish and, and, and pop and and they just kind of uh, took that stage and took that moment by the throat and uh, and and you know ended up being what uh, what's now kind of regarded as a classic tv uh, rock and roll moment and uh there, not long after that, uh, and we'll go backwards, but not long after that, the uh, guitarist Bob Stinson was uh, was fired from the band. Uh, we're going to uh, jump all over the place because uh, the replacements are very near and dear to my heart, um, both as a you know as a songwriter loving Westerberg stuff, but also basically coming of age uh, musically at the same time they did. I remember right. going down to. Uh, uh, Orfolk Jokopis Records, where I live six blocks away, I'd, I'd walk past there six times a week on my uh, way to breakfast and then stop there on the way back and, and spend a dollar and get two brand new records uh, from there. But you could really kind of feel the scene. You know, you'd bump into Bob Stinson down there. You'd bump into uh, uh, Bob Mole from Husker Du, guys from the suburbs. But I remember seeing Tommy Stinson, who would be on his lunch break, um, hanging out with, with Jesperson and Orfolk Jokopus Records. One thing that I really loved about the book, the what I've seen so far, is the pictures. Tell us a little bit about... Uh, how you were able to access all this great uh, photo history of the band and their families. Well, you know, and, and one of the things I wanted to set out to do was really kind of get into untapped sources, both in terms of interviewing the book, uh, interviews for the book, which I did, you know, a couple hundred, almost 300 interviews for the book over wow. the course of six, six and a half years. You know, talking to everybody from uh, childhood friends, to family, to, uh, you know, high school buddies, guys they played in bands with early on in the pre-replacements years uh, through through their days at Twin Tone and contemporaries in Minneapolis and uh, in, in that scene, and then all the way up to, you know, the major label years, friends they knew and musical colleagues, producers, managers, you know, the whole thing. So I wanted to get as many perspectives as possible. And along the way, one of the things I was doing was, was also tracking down a lot of photos because, um, you know, they, they were kind of darlings of, of, of college rock and, and, and that world. And a lot of college newspapers, there would be photographers who would take these photos who probably never became professional photographers and the photos were just sort of buried. So I, I did a lot of internet sort of sleuthing, looking at old clips uh, that I got my hands on and seeing who the photo credit was and, and digging up uh, Colin and finding, you know, searching for these people who, you know, had these replacements negatives in their, in their archives uh, or somewhere buried in their house. And so I found, you know, many thousands of photos of which there's about maybe 70 or so in the book, in addition to getting stuff directly from Paul and Tommy and, and their families. Um, so I wanted to kind of uh, sort of create a visual history as well to, to match some of these stories and some of these moments in the book and you know, like everything, it just uh, just took a little bit of legwork and a little bit of detective work to kind of find stuff that people hadn't really seen. And in some cases, um, dig through. I mean, the band was very fortunate in that they had two amazing visual chroniclers from Minneapolis uh, in Greg Helgeson uh, and Dan Corrigan, who I'm sure you know. Oh, yes. Um, took, 
you know, both their uh, both album covers and promo shots for them over the years, and uh, you know, some of Helgeson stuff. Uh, Greg's uh, a photo of Greg's is actually the cover of the book, and then I, of course I feature a lot of Daniel's work in the uh, in, in the book too. So it's they were, they were fortunate to have such you know keen-eyed photographers and, and people who could really uh, capture them at various points in Minneapolis, and then you know, moving on as they as they went out into the world and on tour. Uh, so for me, it was just it was just digging a, a little deeper than, than than had been before. Well, it's really when you look at the, uh, of course, the family photos, those, they're, they're all young there. But I mean, the early photographs of the replacements, how young they all looked, uh, especially Tommy, of course, you know. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I think, I don't know why it seems that way, but I mean, of course, Tommy was young, but even Paul at nineteen twenty, Bob, they're so fresh-faced. And, oh, my uh, God, yes. <laughs> they look great. <laughs> It is an eye. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, for me, it, it, it was the package. I mean, obviously, the book is very thorough. It's a 500-page you know, book that's kind of a soup-to-nuts history of the band, but it felt like I needed to do the same kind of uh, due diligence and legwork to get some photos that really captured those 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 moments and those memories as well. Well, you've done an amazing job. Uh, we're talking with Bob Mayer, who's uh, uh, from his home in Memphis, Tennessee. He's got a, a great new book on the replacements called uh, Trouble Boys. We're going to have him on for the whole show today. We're going to listen to a little replacements, and after that, more with Bob Mayer on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can save money with All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that it's too expensive and you need lots of money down. The truth? Solar is available for little or no money down. And if you have a great site for solar, you might even save money right away on a monthly basis. So don't wait to switch. You'll see your investment pay off the sooner you switch to All Energy Solar. So start saving today and visit allenergysolar.com. Minnesota has a lot going on this summer, and I don't want to miss a moment of it. However, my carpets remind me of the good times later. That's why I call Zero Res. I'm not willing to waste a beautiful summer weekend washing rugs, so don't worry because the carpet cleaning heroes at Zero Res can help. So schedule your cleaning today by calling 952-ZERO-RES, or you can book online at ZeroResMinnesota.com. Don't forget to ask for the special AM 950 listener pricing. Zero Res, spell it backward or forward. It spells the same. Hi, this is Laura Headland with Food Freedom Radio. We want a regenerative revolution. What's that? It's a food system that works for water, soil, pollinators, and people. How do we get it? Maybe by being a little more lazy. So this summer, we're looking for lazy good food recipes. We're talking about how do we create a sane, kind food system. Food Freedom Radio, Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime on podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
It's grilling season, and Vinaigrette has some sizzling recipes to inspire you. How about summertime grilled fajitas? Just create a marinade with our golden balsamic or champagne vinegar and chili garlic or jalapeno olive oil and marinade beef or chicken. Add red onions, red, green, and yellow peppers and throw them on the grill. Or try grilled steak brushed with our truffle or garlic olive oil. Visit us at 50th and Xerxes in South Minneapolis and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior or online at vinaigrettemn.com. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. On the line all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, author Bob Merrow has a coming to town at the Turf Club on March 5th to talk about his boys, uh, or to talk about, yeah, his boys, called the, uh, his book, The Trouble Boys, The True Story of the Replacements. Bob, let's talk a little bit about uh, when we ended the last set uh, we were talking about the great uh, 70 photographs that you called from over a thousand for the book. One that I, I really enjoyed uh, was uh, from the band Dog Breath that I, I think was uh, Bob Stinson's band. But what I loved about it, uh, Chris Mars, the drummer who is uh, now a very world-renowned artist, a visual artist uh, and painter, painted the, the cover on the bass drum. And I thought, well, that's cool. It's got to be like one of the first, uh, you know, public publicly recognized works of art by Chris Mars. So I thought that was cool. But tell us a little bit about Dog Breath. I've always loved that name. Yeah, that was basically Bob Stinson after he had uh, kind of spent a few years in the, uh, let's say, state juvenile system, group homes and things like that. He came back to his family. What, what, what Bob Dylan used to sing about, uh, Within the Walls of Red Wing. Within the Walls of Red Wing, yes. Um and uh, so he, you know, he'd been Red Wing, he had been at uh, various other facilities, and then, you know, kind of came back, and, and for him, you know, he'd had kind of a troubled childhood, but music for him really was the thing that sort of reconnected him with the world, in a sense, and his ambition, you know, in those years away was to really start a band, and he came back at the end of 77, back to his to his family and, and to his home, uh, and really started what became Dog Breath with a, a buddy of his named Bob Flemmel, uh, who he had met in group home. And they, it was just the two of them really starting the band. And then uh, Tommy kind of got involved by force, <laughs> in a sense. Mm-hmm. Tommy was having his own uh, sort of brushes with the law, and Bob saw him going down that road and, and, and wanted to uh, stop that and help him. So he basically put a bass in his hand, taught him to play. And, and of course, he was uh, a convenient uh, bass player to have because uh, he didn't cost much, as Tommy joked. You know, <laughs> Bob would bribe him with some Cokes and candy bars to get him to play. And right. eventually it was the three of them. And then as it and, happened... And he always knew where, where he could be found. Of course, yeah, <laughs> as well. And... and um, so all they were missing was a drummer, and as it happened, Bob was dating a girl named Andy Olson, uh, and she happened to be neighbors with a guy named Chris Mars, who, of course, would become Dog Breath's drummer and the replacement's drummer. And, and Chris uh, uh, and Andy is the one, actually, who took the photo of that uh, Dog Breath drum kit that is seen in the book, which I think is the first kind of uh, actual evidence of, of the band existing. And, and she has several other photos of the band in a very, uh, very young-looking Chris Mars and Bob and Tommy Stinson uh, uh, with long hair and, and peach fuzz mustaches, and that's <laughs> sort of stuff so it's a kind of really interesting it's just i suppose in a way everybody kind of sees the replacements at the band of the 80s and kind of looking the way they look with the plaid shirts and stuff but they were they were you know children of the 70s in a big way and it's it's, it's really fascinating to see those images of them you know almost looking like different people as uh, as they were coming up in, in the you know middle late 70s so uh andy andy took those photos and she's still up in minnesota and was a great resource for the book but she's kind of the one that, that brought chris mars into the fold uh, uh, with dog breath uh, later to become the replacement tell us a little bit about uh the uh, the influences in the early years of Paul Westerberg. I know there was a guy named Zika, uh, a high school buddy of his that passed, unfortunately, way too young. Uh, but he also had some history on the West Bank. Yeah, but, you know, it's interesting. Paul's rooting, uh, you know, he had older sisters, a sister a decade older, and so, of course, he came up under the influence of the you know, British invasion and, and 60s R&B and all the stuff that was popular, you know, when he was about five or six, he had teenage sisters. So he got that. And then he had an older brother, about six years older, who really exposed him uh, both through his brother and his brother's pals to kind of the folk and blues music uh, that was really prevalent, obviously, on the West Bank and that whole scene that was still, uh, still had been very, you know, obviously very potent in the 60s and kind of still lingering even into the 70s. Um, and so, you know, Paul's rooting really was... Uh, fundamentally in blues and folk uh, initially um 
and I actually talk a little bit about, you know, the first uh, first time Paul went into a recording studio, he had won a prize package by answering a trivia question, and he uh, the prize was some studio time, and he went in and recorded a, what he described as a kind of Leo Kotke-styled original uh, that uh, ended up getting played on the local NPR station. And so, you know, that's where his his initial musical influences were, and of course he expanded into, he also loved bubblegum pop, and and the glam rock that was coming out of the seventies, and then more into the uh, you know harder rock and stuff a little bit that he that he kind of pursued really as a lead guitarist in the years before the replacements. I mean, he spent about four or five years kicking around bands and little ad hoc combos in in the Twin Cities as a, as a lead guitarist, and he could play that boogie blues stuff like nobody's business. You know, it's funny. That's the first time uh, maybe ever that I've heard Leo Kotke and Paul Westerberg <laughs> mention the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> But it, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the, uh, you know, 60s and 70s folk and blues scene on the West Bank to this day still, uh, you know, continues with, you know, John Kerner still playing out there and Willie Murphy oh, yeah. and Tony Glover. I got to well, ask you, there's a great picture, Bob, of, uh, you know, like I said, I love the 70 photos that I've seen in the book, but the great one of the cassette demo, the <laughs> legendary demo that Westerberg gave to Jesperson. Did you get a chance to hear that? Oh yeah, and that, that was the material on that did end up finally getting released in 2008 when they the Rhino uh, Warner Brothers did some reissues album reissues. So it's kind of a bonus on the replacement's first album. But that yeah, that, that actual cassette I had it in my hands and and took a look at it. It's now in the collection of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, as a matter of fact. As well, uh, as, well as it should be. <laughs> or on loan anyway from, from Peter Jesperson. But yeah, that was kind of the, the uh, Thunderbolt moment for Peter in terms of hearing them um, and playing that cassette, which Paul had dropped off to Orfolk Joke Opus, which was the story that Peter managed. Um, but uh, but in fact, you know, the, the real history is the replacements had done an earlier demo and sent it into Twin Tone for, a, for an album uh, the, of kind of local submissions they were taking, which they, they got a polite but firm rejection. Of course, you know, they, they didn't know at the time that they would be getting into the replacements business just a few months later with, with, with this with this famous now uh, cassette demo. And, you know, really one of kind of the bedrocks of, of uh, Twin Tone Records. The other thing that I think should uh, go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, in Cleveland, and, and when we had Monty Wilkes on the Wall of Power Radio Hour a couple of months ago, we talked about the legendary uh, trip with the RV of Jesperson Wilkes <laughs> in the band that they had to, that basically it came, it, it came back to the rental shop as just a shell. I believe that picture, there's a picture in there of that trip when they're, when they're dismantling the RV. Is that from that yeah, trip or was that another well, unfortunate RV? Actually, I think that's the photo that's in the book was of another similar incident on a bus <laughs> later on. So uh, they moved up in the world and but sort of kept the same M.O. But, um, but yeah, and they did some similar stuff uh, to a Sprinter van in England uh, that I have some photos that I didn't include in the book. Uh, but, but you know, the, the funny story about that is they uh, really couldn't find, Peter Jesperson wanted to sort of upgrade their accommodations. This was for their first real major label tour and really couldn't find anybody in the Twin Cities who would rent to a rock and roll band. So I think he found somebody, I believe it was, Elk River, uh, or somewhere up there, and and a northern and suburb. Said, yeah, northern suburbs. And the guy said to Peter, and it's this is stories in the book. Um, he said, "You know, uh, Peter, I'm tired of rock bands being treated as second class citizens. I tell you what, I'll rent to you." And of course, famous last words. But uh, but uh, but yeah. So that's you know, kind of uh, was was uh, one of the their their legends was their sort of systematic destruction. It wasn't uh, um, you know chaotic. It was very deliberate the way they would uh, pull these things apart on the road. We've got Bob Bear on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. His new book, Trouble Boys: The True Story of the Replacements. He's coming to town on March 5th at the Turf Club. We'll have him on for the next two sets. Listen to Little Replacements and back in just a bit. Hi, this is Charlie. My dad is Minnesota's wildly popular and handsome radio host, Matt McNeil. Did I say that right, Dad? Perfect! When I got my driver's license, my parents let me drive a Sienna from Rudy Luther Toyota. I love it. It's easy, comfortable, and hauls all my baseball gear. And my parents love the safety. That's why they wanted me in the Sienna. 
Thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota, my son is safe as he begins his driving adventure. We're a two Sienna family thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota. Visit them today in Golden Valley at 169 and 394. Oh no, you shattered your cell phone. Now what? Listen closely. We know you're lost without your phone. Bring it to Computer Revolution today. We'll fix it and have you back online before someone asks, where are you? Computer Revolution with Cell Phone Repair has over 18 years experience fixing computer devices. All brands, all carriers. Computer Revolution with Cell Phone Repair, located in Roseville at Highway 36 and Fairview Avenue, or call 651-633-6600. We fix phones, same day, seven days a week. Hey, podcast fans, did you know that StandUpRecords.com has live comedy CDs of some of your favorite podcast personalities? Folks like Jackie Cation of the Dork Forest, Robert Kelly of You Know What Do, the Sklar Brothers from Sklarbro Country, Doug Stanhope from Doug Stanhope's Podcast, and Mark Marin from WTF. You've heard them for free. Why not consider spending some money to find out what they do for a living? Just head on over to StandUpRecords.com or look for Standup Records at Amazon.com or the iTunes Music Store. That's StandUpRecords.com. The Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe is ready for the cold. Serving seasonal dishes using locally sourced ingredients, Minnesota craft beers, and organic wines. Their delicious vegetarian, vegan, and omnivorous menu options are sure to satisfy. New items include the cauliflower po'boy, harvest chili, braised beef tostada, and the pork banh mi, as well as rotating seasonal vegetables and pasta. Sustaining a healthy community, you will find Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe at 2601 East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis and online at coopcreamery.coop. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm John Peterson, and at Ferndale Market, we are proud to provide our free-range turkey to local restaurants and natural food stores. One of our partners since the beginning has been Birchwood Cafe, and we're excited to announce a new partnership product, the Birchwood Turkey Burger Patty. Made from their popular turkey burger recipe, using our antibiotic-free turkey and Birchwood's local and organic ingredients. Put an end to bland turkey burgers. Find this and all our Ferndale turkey products at your local co-op or natural food store. Visit FerndaleMarket.com. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight will be partly cloudy with a low around 67. Tomorrow's partly sunny with a high near 87. Monday, partly sunny with a high near 87. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 75. And Wednesday, sunny with a high near 76. The Eat Local Minnesota Restaurant of the Week is Burger Moe's, the perfect neighborhood gathering spot before or after XL Energy events. Having two happy hours and more than 60 beers on tap, come visit them at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul. More information at BurgerMoe's.com. You are back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. On the line uh, for the entire show today, author, journalist, and cool cat, Bob Mara. His new book uh, uh, called Trouble Boys, The True Story of the Replacements uh, can be found at my favorite bookstore in town, Majors and Quinn. I'm sure Amazon.com as well. But Bob will be in town on Saturday, March 5th at uh, the Turf Club in St. Paul. At 4 p.m., it's an all-ages show. They're going to have a Q&A, and Bob also promises some uh, rare mats audio and uh, visual treats uh, for the crowd. Bob, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your history uh, as a journalist and a writer. I've read a lot of your uh, reviews of both concerts and records in my favorite music mag uh, magazine, Mojo, and it was a pleasure meeting you briefly uh, a few years back. But how did you get into this whole writing game? Well, that's a good question. I, I, uh, I sort of fell into it in a sense. I had grown up uh, mostly in California and then later high school and college moved to Arizona. And uh, 
One of the really kind of interesting stories at that time, there was a band called the Gin Blossoms. Obviously, they were a multi-platinum band and actually recorded at Ardent in Memphis. Okay. Uh, with some of the same same people that the replacements recorded with. Their chief singer-songwriter, or rather their chief songwriter and lead guitarist was a guy named Doug Hopkins, who uh, was sort of booted from the band in the midst of uh, you know their first major label record. But as it turned out, the songs he wrote ended up being you know big hits and catapulting that uh, record to uh, you know massive success, multi-platinum success, and of course he committed suicide, sadly, um, mm. right as that was happening. So it's a really interesting, you know, in, in Arizona War, it was a really interesting story, and I knew some of the people involved uh, and, and who knew Doug, and so for me, I was just kind of working in radio, doing basic entertainment stuff straight out of college, and I really wanted to tell this story uh, about this guy, because to me it seemed like, you know, how many people have ever taken their own lives while they were, you know, about to become millionaires and riding high on the charts. I mean, I, I can sort of think of Kurt Cobain and, and, and this guy Doug Hopkins from the Jim Blossoms. So I spent, uh, you know, I, I my intention was really just to tell this one story, and I spent a number of months, uh, this was back in 98, uh, researching it in, in Phoenix and published it in the Alt, Alt Weekly there, the Phoenix New Times. Um, and it got such an amazing response that basically they hired me as the uh, music editor there. And this was, of course, back in the heyday of uh, alt-weeklies, and uh, we were putting out 200-page issues and stuff, and, and the company really expanded during that time. They ended up emerging with the Village Voice, and of course, were part of the thing that the City Pages was uh, there in Minneapolis. So really, my intention was to write one story, and I kind of did well enough with it and, and, and got enough interest there in Phoenix locally that I sort of got put on this track to uh, be a music critic and, and music writer. And, and from there, sort of uh, bounced around. I was uh, I was in Phoenix for several years, and then to Seattle, actually working for the Village Voice Media Company, and then to an alt-weekly in Chicago called The Reader. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I got uh, asked to come down to Memphis and work for the Daily Paper here, which is a very old daily, uh, 175-year-old paper that's in the process of being actually purchased by the Gannett Company. So, you know, uh, I'm fortunate to be here in Memphis, one that it's just, as you can imagine, just rich with so many stories and so many people and so many interesting uh, tales of R&B and blues and early rock and roll up to, up to you know, contemporary stuff. And uh, have, have, have kind of, I mean, frankly, been working on the book for most of the time I've been down here mm-hmm. on the replacements book, but uh, have had just incredible experiences. So, you know, I guess I, after uh, whatever it is, 17, almost 18 years of doing this, I have to say this is what I do. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a professional music writer, I guess. Well, congratulations. Uh, see, it, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, that little piece of happenstance and uh, synchronicity, I guess, is, is our gain. I really enjoy your writing. Did you uh, get a chance to, I can't remember when Jim Dickinson, a great Memphis uh, musician, piano player, uh, passed away. It was a few years ago, but did you get a chance? Yeah, it was 2009. Yeah, so did you get a chance to talk to him at all about working with the replacements? Oh yeah, I, I talked to Jim and knew Jim fairly well from the from the years I was here and even before and, and you know close with his family and his sons Luther and, and Cody are still obviously making great music and uh, you know it's funny I did a story on Jim Jim re- was releasing a solo record uh, in 2009 uh, in the late spring May and went down to his ranch studio down in Mississippi and did a long interview with him for his own solo record that was coming out and. Uh, had plans to come out the following uh, following week to um, interview him formally for the replacements book. Of course, we talked about the band many times over the years, and you know he entered the hospital, and obviously a few months later, you know, and it never came out. Basically, a few months later, he passed away, which is really tragic. But you know, I, I had a lot of volumes of, of material on Jim to sort of pull from, and obviously, he's a really big character uh, in, in the book, and certainly in the period of Please to Meet Me, which is the record uh, that he produced for the replacements, and he was in some ways the most uh, successful producer or the, the producer who was most successful working with the replacements and sort of managing and, and, and harnessing their chaos into a really ga- great record. So yeah, Jim and, and Memphis kind of uh, is, is, is a big part uh, of, of the replacement story at, at a very interesting point in that middle period uh, where they had just parted ways with Bob Stinson and were kind of operating as a three-piece and a little bit uncertain about their future. And I think coming down to Memphis, which was the first record the band had made outside of Minneapolis, uh, was really key in, in kind of uh, getting them to, uh, allowing them to carry on, really. Now, was that the first record with Slim Dunlap? 
Well, actually, Slim was not on the record. He was hired at the very tail end of uh, the, the making and sort of mixing. Uh, he did come down to Memphis for now kind of famous playback party, which I detail in the book where all the Warner Brothers and Sire staff came down. And in fact, uh, Paul, Paul tells a story that, you know, Jim offered him the opportunity to uh, to uh, play on it, but Slim being the uh, humble guy he is, demurred and said, no, no, this is your record. And, and so really, uh, Slim was in the band for that whole Please to Meet Me touring cycle and even before the record was out, but uh, but wasn't actually on the LP. The first, uh, first album that Slim played on was the next one, Don't Tell a Soul. So when was the first time you actually saw and heard the replacements uh, live and in person, Bob? Uh, I saw them twice. Obviously, I'm, I'm 41, uh, or on the verge of being 41, so I'm a little bit younger. So I managed to see them only with the live, uh, at least initially, with the slim version of the band. I saw them open on, uh, again, a kind of now infamous Tom Petty tour that they opened a couple months for in the summer of 89. And then I saw them again on the final tour um, in 91 uh, with Slim and also with Steve Foley who was their last drummer after Chris Mars split the band uh, during that last, uh, last go around. Steve was a great guy and one of the things I'm proudest of in my life when Steve, uh, after he was out of the band, became a, a car salesman my brother right. needed a car so I hooked him up with Steve and uh, Steve hooked my brother John up with some real rock and set of wheels So and Steve, <laughs> Steve was happy for the sale, a great guy, may, re may rest in peace. Yeah, no, he was a great guy, and I talked to his family, his sister Colleen, uh, and uh, you know, Steve was part of that, uh, part of the Curtis A sort of uh, family and franchise. That's where mm -hmm. he got, I think, a lot of his rooting and played in a lot of bands up there. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. Is 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 there was basically six people who were in the replacements. You know, the four original members, and then Slim and and, and Steve. So it's a pretty tight crew there. And and you know, obviously, there's been some tragedy there with with Bob passing, with Steve passing, and of course, uh, Slim's recent health was. But it's a really fascinating story to kind of tell everybody's backgrounds too and how they came to the band or how they came to music through Minneapolis so that was really one of the things I wanted to do with the book was was focus uh, not just on Paul and Tommy and Bob and Chris but also on the, the other people that were uh, you know in the band or in the band's orbit well and it was an incredible orbit the late 70s uh, and the, you know certainly the, the 80s uh, you know one of the godfathers of the whole uh, you know rock and roll scene early to mid 70s on of course is Curtis A did you get a chance to uh, talk to Curtis about uh, I, I did. I the life of times? I spent a good a good bit of time with uh, with Curtis down in his uh, basement lair, which is one of the most <laughs> incredible pop culture troves you see. And, Tell the people, and, uh, I've been in there a couple of times. Actually, um, I, there's been a couple of times that I borrowed a suit uh, from, if I had a big gig coming up from Curtis, and he's a bit of a haberdasher. In fact, that's what he said he was, he didn't do rock and roll, That's he'd run a clothing store. But tell the people out there, uh, a little bit about the basement lair because it's just incredible. Oh well, it's just I mean, you know, there are people more well versed in in, in comic books and and sort of that culture than I am. But I mean, you talk about a rock and roll comic book uh, nirvana. It's just uh, records and and books and figurines and of course, you know, Curtis is an amazing, amazing artist. He does these just. Uh, mind-blowing collages that are, you know, kind of collections of, of all this sort of pop culture stuff, magazines, clippings, little bits of pieces that he puts together, and it's sort of like seeing his work is kind of like being inside of his brain, which is a dangerous place to be, but it's also a really fascinating <laughs> place to be. Uh, and I, you know, Curtis is really kind of one of the heroes, and really, you know, Peter Jesperson talks about it in the book, part of his motivation, or his main motivation for wanting to start uh, Twin Tone uh, along with Paul Stark and, and Charlie Hallman was, was to put out Curtis A. Records, and of course, Slim Dunlap was uh, Curtis, Kurt's right hand, you know, all those years, and sure. sort of uh, twin, and so there's a big Kurt connection with... Um with with Paul and, and the replacements and you know Curtis uh, 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 I think uh, jokingly but Paul took it seriously gave him some advice you know Slim being the sort of uh, uh, calm collected character that he that he was he said you know if you want to get uh, uh, Slim or Bob Dunlap as he was then if you want to get Bob Dunlap to, to play really well you got to get him mad and Paul joked that you know I kept that advice in, in my back pocket for a while until we got to Europe and then you know I unplugged him in the middle of a solo and then he got really mad and played really good so um, <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, Kurt Kurt uh, Kurt kind of plays a role in in that uh, a major role, and certainly in the early history of Twin Tone and and, and that Minneapolis scene, and and uh, of course giving both in a sense uh, Bob and Steve or Slim and Steve Foley, you know, into the replacements out of out of his years in his band. A great uh, quick little courtesy story. I had started booking a blues club in Uptown Minneapolis. I wanted to get Kurt in there. I invited him down to buy him lunch. 
Uh, he was happy to be there because the comics came out of the comic book store right up the street. I had a guy general manager that had just got back. He started working at uh, this blues club that shall remain homeless. And uh, he had just seen Ike Turner. And so I was just introducing these guys. The GM was came from like the Holiday Inn. And Curtis A comes, uh, you know, is the king of rock and roll. And uh, so the, the GM says, yeah, he just saw Ike Turner in Memphis. And this beginning the conversation, Kurt just stops in his tracks. He goes, he goes, that really, is, uh, that really makes me mad. And we asked, what's that? He, said, he goes, Cripes Almighty said, uh, he said, we can forgive Germany, but we can't forgive Ike Turner. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Kurt, I, uh, Kurt's forever my friend now because I gave him a copy of the Wilson Picket Box set, which is, you know, uh, Wilson is his big hero. Uh, so, uh, and and uh, and I kind of, there's a guy working on a, a Wilson Picket uh, biography, and I said, you know, you got to talk to Kurt because I'm sure Kurt has some stories, you know. Oh, absolutely. Here, so. We've only got about a minute left in this set. We're speaking with Bob Mayer, the author of a great new book called Trouble Boys. The True Story, The Replacements. Bob's going to be in St. Paul on uh, March 5th at 4 p.m. at uh, the Turf Club. And like I say about the Turf Club, uh, if Jack Ruby ran any club in the Twin Cities, it would be the Turf Club. And I mean that in the finest way. It's a great uh, old venue. What sort of audio and uh, visual treats are you going to have for us? Can you give a little bit away now? Sure. Well, I mean, I'm going to be talking about the book, and I think we wanted to do something in the in a fun sort of bar club environment. The folks from First Avenue were helping put on the show, and the and the uh, good folks at Mayors and Quinn are, are selling the books there. And you know, I'm going to play some stuff that kind of uh, almost a DJ set of stuff that you would have heard in the Replacements van and things that were influences on the band. And we may even show some some clips of of stuff that people haven't seen. So I just kind of wanted to make it a sort of fun multimedia event there on the fifth, uh, and uh, hopefully it'll be that. We've got Bob Mirror on the line. Bob, we're going to have you back for one more set on the Wall of Power a Radio Hour. Uh, we really appreciate taking your time. I want to, we're going to talk a little bit about what you think uh, makes the replacements so damn good. We'll be back after these. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities gay scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Is it time to downsize, but don't know where to start? Give the House Geeks with Bricks Real Estate a call. We're experienced in making this process as easy as possible. Whether it is help with pricing your home, assistance in finding movers, or any of the other professionals you might need to get your home sold, we're here for you. Take the worry away by giving us a call today at 612-207-5388. That's 612-207-5388 or online anytime at housegeeks.com. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. With summertime here, my family is super excited about the road trips we'll be taking in our Toyota Sienna. We're going to be putting a lot of miles in, but a Sienna is the most comfortable way to drive. Plenty of room for the five of us to stretch out and enjoy the ride, even with the dog and all of our gear tagging along. Safety and reliability are key, and Rudy Luther Toyota Siennas are the most safe, most reliable vehicles we've ever driven. Test drive one yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. As with their Eat Street sister on Nicollet Avenue, the Bad Waitress at 700 Central and Northeast is committed to working with local purveyors and serving organic food whenever possible. But the Northeast location is a bit more grown up. This finer diner has a full bar serving craft cocktails and a brand new inventive dinner menu, including the chicken and waffle, with roasted half chicken, bourbon pickled jalapeno corn waffle, and a roasted poblano gravy. Check out the Northeast menu at thebadwaitress.com. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shamblot from Shamblot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. And I'm Rachel Shamblot. Did you know a lot of people are afraid of the dentist? You don't need to be afraid of my dad. He makes going to the dentist comfortable and even fun. We don't care if you're a dental regular or haven't seen a dentist in years. We just want to make you comfortable and get you out of pain. If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. On the line and in uh, the on the show for the uh, entire show tonight, Bob Mayer wrote a book called Trouble Boys, The True Story of the Replacements that's just out on the DeCapo Press label. Bob, tell me what you think makes the Replacements one of the greatest rock and, American rock and roll bands. Well, I think in the bigger picture, you, know, you always have to talk about the songs. Paul is, in some ways, as incisive and profound a songwriter, you know, kind of working in that rock and, and pop medium as, as, as we've had. Uh, and I, there's just something about him, there's a kind of ineffable quality that hit people in their guts, you know, uh, and in their heads and their hearts and, 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 you know, all over their body, really, you know, with those songs that he was writing and continues to write. And I think the combination of that within the context of a great, wild rock and roll band, and, and they were a rock and roll band because I think, uh, you know, they, they, they had their own kind of swing and their own kind of uh, roots and, 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 and blues and folk, and they, they really could do anything. So I think it's a combination of those two things. Plus, there's, a, there's an aura about them, in part because during their career they did such wild things and maybe fell just short of, of the kind of success that everybody expected for them. But again, in the long term, they've they've endured and they've succeeded in part because they have this romance attached to them. So you know, between the songs and and the, just the power of that band and those combina- that combination of people, and then the the kind of uh, you know aura that uh, still continues to this day. That's why I think you see you know in the last couple of years when they did their reunion that's why a band that uh you know is considered a quote-unquote commercial failure at the, during the 80s is, is selling out 14,000 seats in in their hometown or in new york uh you know they played that show at, uh, at midway stadium at the end of 2014 and it was just uh, unbelievable to see that and then the next week they played the tennis stadium and in forest hills in new york and there's you know uh, 13 14,000 people singing those songs back to you so there's no way uh, uh, other than looking at it as, as a huge success and a, and a, and a triumph for the band uh, well, in the, the thing I was, uh, I heard a, I was listening to Terry Gross on Fresh Air on National Public Radio, and they had a reviewer, I believe it was Ken Tucker, talking about the new Juliana Hatfield, uh, Paul Westerberg record that they're calling themselves, Yeah, I Don't Care. And I was listening to Westerberg right. sing, and I go, you know, there's three male voices. For me, it's kind of like the, you know, uh, the psychic and audio wallpaper of the Twin Cities, the, the voices that just uh, remain with you. One is Spider Giant Kerner, one is Curtis. Uh, well, there's more than three, but uh, you know, you got Willie Murphy, Prudence Johnson, a female, but you've got Westerberg's voice that is, uh, it, it's unmistakable. When, when you listen to him on the radio or at a party, if he's on a record, you go, that's Paul Westerberg. He just has that undefinable, really soulful, fragile, but tough voice. And I think there's more connections there than, you know, maybe meets the eye, because I know Paul talked about growing up, you know, he was a guy who loved Pickett, and obviously Curtis A. is hugely influenced by Pickett, and Paul, again, is a guy who had a, a, a big connection to that West Bank scene. I mean, he talks about how uh, he learned to play harmonica from the Tony Glover book, so, and, and of course they had Tony Glover on stage at Midway, and, you know, that's no accident. So I think, you know, there are these, these threads that connect uh, the, those distinctive uh, Minneapolis voices and Twin Cities voices, and, and, and it's because some of the reading is the same so and of course you know all those guys uh, have put their own in, in individual spin and they have their own idiosyncrasies but there is a there is a common bond there i think that, that comes through and, and that's what makes them so uh, you know so memorable what were we just have a few minutes left we've got bob mayer on the line author and great uh, music writer he's got his book trouble boys the true story of the replacements that's just out on the DeCapo press what are a few things that you might have just stumbled into that surprised you that you didn't know you would discover when you were doing this six-year uh, uh, project working on the history of the replacements? Oh, God, so many uh, little factoids and things just from uh, from talking about. I mean, to me, the interesting thing was learning about the Minneapolis of, of that early 70s and, and mid-70s and how 
you know, the, the Twin Cities was such a thriving uh, place in, in the 60s. And I think in a way, the rock scene, not, not so much the West Bank blues and folk scene, but the rock scene really became kind of the province of show bands and cover bands by the early 70s. And then I think that, in a sense, birthed the kind of uh, new wave movement, you know, starting with Curtis A and bands like the Hipsters. It started doing kind of that return to original, real rock and roll stuff. And the other part was, for me, that was interesting was finding out about where the culture was. I mean, so much was happening in and around record stores. And I think that, that, that twin tone scene and that Minneapolis new wave scene in the late seventies really was birthed out of places like or, or folk Joko, just because I think the radio, you know, the, the rock radio had kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit in terms of being progressive. And then the clubs, you know, uh, say had done the same in terms of original music. So for me, like just finding out the, that, that sort of backstory of, of where Minneapolis was and how it was that, you know, the, the twin tone bands and bands like the replacements uh, uh, emerged out of that context was really fascinating. Well, I had a, a author by the name of Rick Sevchak who wrote a great book that you would enjoy, Bob, called Everybody's Heard About the Bird that talks about that great 60s right. history of, you know, the castaways, the liar, liar, and the trash man, and Dave Dudley, and all that great stuff. Uh, but it's fun to see you... Uh, from out of town, kind of put to, you know, the 70s and 80s and the 90s, part of it together. It's kind of a, all one big uh, uh, musical gumbo, I, well, I guess. And, of course, I mentioned The Replacements, Tim, you know, their first major label album. And, of course, that was recorded at... Uh uh, the, the studios that was K Bank right. Studios, where the Castaways and 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 the Trashmen and Dave Dudley had recorded all those hits for some back in the '60s. So you know, there's uh, Minneapolis is a big city, but a small town, and certainly when it comes to their music, so those those connections and those people and those places and those ties are, are there through the replacement story. Yeah, and then of course you know who's could do office out of there. Uh, Grant Hart wrote <laughs> right. a book called Twenty Five Twenty Four, which is the address on Nicollet Avenue. Uh, for for the studio that is still uh, still up and running, we've got about a minute left, Bob. What is your uh, what is the Capo Press? Do they got do they got you on the road? Where else are you going with the book? And what are you looking forward to do uh, with Trouble well, Boys? Well, I'm doing the, a thing here. Uh, yeah, well, I'm starting here in Memphis, in my hometown, doing a thing on the first, and then of course flying out to Minneapolis. I'll be around town for a few days with the event uh, at the Turf Club on the fifth, and then going to do uh, you know weekenders here. I, when I go to the West Coast, I might do some dates in a row, but really just kind of letting the book get out there. Uh, the official release is March first, although it's sort of available now. Uh, I'm coming to find out that book release dates aren't as hard and fast as record releases, so uh, your Amazon, your Barnes and Nobles, and, and some of the indie booksellers already have it out there, but you know the official release is March one, and so you know, let the book get out there and the, the press do its stuff, and 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 then I'll be hitting the road uh, more and more. But you know, for me, the the big thing was to do uh, Minneapolis that first week uh, or the Twin Cities, and, and so that's why I'm coming to the to the Turf Club. Well, we are honored that uh, you took the time to chat with us on the Wall and Power Radio Hour. Do you have a website, uh, Bob, or how can people track down the books online if they can't make the Turf Club or can't? Uh... Ah. Absolutely. I've got a, a, got a pretty neat website for the book that I'm going to be updating with stuff and stories, but of course, uh, and you can order on there. It's just replacementsbook.com, replacementsbook.com, and uh, people can find me also at, on Twitter at Bob Mayer. I'll be talking a lot about uh, about the replacements and little anecdotes and stories, so they can follow me there. But uh, yeah, replacementsbook.com is, is, is where to go to, uh, to uh, get the book. Thank you so much, Bob Mayer, uh, who just wrote a great book that's out. Right about now, called Trouble Boys, The True Story, The Replacements. Good luck, Bob. I'm hoping to make your show at the Turf Club on Saturday, March 5th. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Paul. Look forward to seeing you. Okay, brother. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brad Kanamer, and recorded at the Minneapolis Media Institute. Support our sponsors. Follow us online at wallofpowerradio.com. Like us on Facebook at Wall of Power Radio Hour. And like my dad said, remember to be kind and make someone happy.